Let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, or if you prefer, you can read along with me uh, on the screens tonight. Message I call the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves. Circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. It was all the way back in 1967 when a man named Charles Hummel wrote his classic essay, The Tyranny of the Urgent, that I borrowed uh, for the title of our message tonight, discusses the life of Jesus and reminding us that he never seemed hurried. He never seemed harried. The demands of life, even a life as extraordinary as his, never seemed to get him rattled. Interestingly, one of the things that Hummel reminded us about that uh, uh, he felt like was uh, causing us to uh, have a hard time getting around everything was the telephone, the telephone. And remember in 1967, uh, that was that thing that you did like this, you know. Some of y'all understand that sound. <clears throat> Now we've got them uh, around with us all the time, strapped to our side in our pocket purse. Uh, some of you can't hardly get them out of your hands. Uh, it's amazing. Um, he also related then what an old cotton mill manager once told him, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. I'm not going to read all of his essay to you, of course, tonight. You can look that home up. After church, after church, uh, uh, you can look it up and read it. It's uh, worth the time. Uh, but he did cite this incredible statement from Jesus, of whom Joshua will remember. Uh, the word Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua, Joshua. Uh, Joshua is a type of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Now Joshua and the children of Israel have crossed over the Jordan River under the mighty hand of God. And, and our chapter begins with the assurance that the enemy had heard all about what had happened. Uh, after all, they were monitoring this crowd of people that was approaching. They knew they were coming. Uh, they'd had 40 years to watch him uh, wander around. I mean, they'd been wondering what was going on with them all this time. So the news of how that God had stopped the Jordan River at flood stage and how they'd walked across on dry ground uh, had uh, already spread among them. And the Bible says that when their enemies, the Canaanites and the Amorites and others around them heard about it, uh, their hearts melted within them. I mean, in a way, this was their, uh, their worst nightmare coming true. 
uh, because they had heard all the things that God had done in bringing the children out of Egypt. Uh, the news of that had spread, and now here they are coming to that land that God had promised them, and, and there their God is once again uh, doing wonders, and they knew their time was coming. Any military strategist would tell you that it was time to press their advantage. The enemies were afraid. Their hearts were melting between, before them. They had seen this mighty miracle. It was a time, no doubt, for them to move. I mean, go immediately. But there was something more important than winning battles. There'd be plenty of time for winning battles. That was going to come. <coughs> God was no more in a hurry at this time than he is at any other time. We live under the tyranny, not only of the urgent, but certainly we live under the tyranny of time. And I have struggled many times over my life, perhaps you have too, when I was in a hurry and God wasn't. In fact, I've kind of lived that way most of the time. I can't even talk him into getting in a hurry. I've tried. It doesn't work. He told us long ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Think about that the next time you say, I don't have time. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. Tonight we're not going to be looking at this passage as some secret formula for success. It's not really that. It's not a secret at all. It's just about a demonstration of some things that God puts on display for us that show us that uh, uh, what seems to us to be urgent is not necessarily what is important. Sometimes there are more important things that we need to do than taking care of the urgent things. The urgent thing in this case would have been to press their advantage, attack while they had their enemies disheartened, move forward, begin this military campaign. That was not it. It was at that time in verse 2 that the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now that had happened when they came out of Egypt. As God required the men of Israel, the children of Israel, to uh, embrace the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. They'd wandered in the wilderness, though, for 40 years, and during that, all that time, not one person in Israel had been circumcised. They had not embraced that sign. Circumcision, then, was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Like all signs, it was an external or visible symbol of an internal or spiritual reality. In this case, Paul would tell us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And in this, he's speaking of what Moses called the circumcision of the heart. And it simply referred to a person being open uh, unto God by faith. And without that time when our hearts open unto God by faith, when we receive God into our life, when we accept Him uh, by faith and are saved, without that, 
then the symbol of circumcision simply became a mutilation of their flesh. That, that was all, just nothing more, nothing less. And Paul would tell us then that the circumcision in the flesh was to be distinguished from that that was in the heart. It was a picture of <coughs> the suffering and death of Jesus Christ when he would be cut off from his own people. And so their faith in uh, this coming Messiah of Israel who was to be born in Bethlehem, I think that was the reason why that God, and that's my, my opinion, that was the reason why that God gave them this symbol uh, so that on the eighth day a male child was to be circumcised. Why? Because it was a tribute to that time when Israel's long-awaited Messiah would be born as the kings who visited from the east would say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Born king of the Jews. That's what they were anticipating. And the sign, the symbol of circumcision given to Abraham so long ago was in fact a point uh, to point out to them that Isaac, Isaac was not the real seed of Abraham. I mean, he, he was that long-awaited child. Yes, he was, but he wasn't the one. He was just a picture of the one that was to come. Paul would go on to say in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, We are buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised through him, with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. A baptism is not a literal burial and it's not a literal resurrection. It is a symbol. It's a symbol of our death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. Just like the circumcision of their flesh was a sign of the circumcision made without hands in their hearts, so also is water baptism a sign of the spiritual baptism that takes place uh, without hands and through faith when we are immersed into Christ at the moment that we're saved. You see, every one of us as believers, when we are saved, we are placed in Christ. Christ takes up residence in our life. We are in Him, and He is in us. Our water baptism then pictures how that we are immersed into Jesus Christ so that His death becomes our death. His burial then is our burial. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And His life then becomes our life. Now, baptism doesn't make that happen. But it is a symbol of that. It is a picture of that. If I hold up a picture of one of my grandkids, I say, hey, this is, this is one of my grandkids, whichever one it is. Now, you understand that's not really my grandchild. That's a picture. But we say that all the time. Baptism is a symbol. And it is a symbol then of our identification with Jesus Christ. In the same way, circumcision then was a symbol of their faith in the coming Messiah, their embracing of the Abrahamic covenant. Now for 40 years, that had been on the back burner. Who knows how many little boy children had been born during that time. And this ritual that God had prescribed had not been taken care of. But now they're going into the promised land. We might expect, again, them to move forward in this mighty military campaign, pressing their advantage. But no, 
of all the things in the world that they could have done. God said, it's time to take care of this. Remember Moses had a couple of boys. Remember the time God stopped him on the road going to deliver the people of Israel? But no, no. It was something more important for Moses to do. And this ritual then had to be performed in accordance with God's plan. There's a lot of things we might push into the background of life. Things that we may decide for whatever reason are not that important. Things we may decide for whatever reason, they can wait. Unfortunately, a lot of times those things are the things of God. But from time to time, God stops us in our tracks and says... Let's take care of this. When he does, <laughs> that's the message we better listen to. <laughs> that's what we see playing out then in our text tonight. So before they would move on, we could say there was a first things first, something that God wanted them to take care of before, more important than the battle. Then secondly... There was a time for their spiritual nourishment and refreshment. The children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Before they would press on in the battle, before they would begin this military campaign, God saw to it that they observed the Passover. Why? <laughs> because it was time. It was time. Fourteenth day of the month Nisan. Every single year of the Jewish calendar, they observed the Passover. Passover, like any date like that, might fall on different days of the, of the week. You know how that is in, in a calendar. It's just like the 25th of December, I think we'll celebrate this year. And it may fall on whatever day of the week that it falls on. 14th day of Nisan was just exactly like that. The Passover was when it was celebrated. So they, they celebrated the Passover because it was time. What did that represent to them? Well, of course, it goes back to the time when God delivered them out of the land of Egypt as the death angel would, would pass throughout the land of Egypt and all of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians would perish. But the blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost of their homes so that the angel of death passing through the land would pass over them. Thus, in our text here in Joshua chapter 5, we have two beautiful Old Testament types that pointed most particularly to the cross of Christ in their observance of circumcision and in their observance of the Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Why don't we observe Passover in the New Testament? 
because Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. After the Passover was concluded, it was also called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that lasted for 14 days. The Bible says they ate some parched corn left over from the previous time of harvest in the land of Canaan. Now, I'm not sure what parched corn is, uh, but I, it, it kind of sounds like grits to me. I, uh, grits. Y'all like grits? I love grits. I do. Uh, white corn made into hominy, ground up into grit. I love it. I love it. All it needs is salt and pepper and butter. Wonderful stuff. Now, I'm not sure whether they had grits or not. I just kind of pictured that in my mind. Well, it's parched corn. That doesn't sound very appetizing. Uh, I bet they ground it up and made it into grits. I, I, just, I, just, I just imagined that. Uh, whatever it was, after 40 years of having manna for breakfast, lunch, and supper, I imagine it tasted pretty good to them. And after that, after they ate of the fruit of the land, the Bible says, the manna stopped. Now, eating is something we have to do every day, and most of us pray in association with that meal, and rightly so. But when Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, this is obviously something he intended for us to pray at the beginning of the day, not just necessarily when we sit down to eat a meal. That reminds us when we go to work tomorrow, if you start your work week on Monday, it reminds you that that job is a blessing from God, that the money you earn is a blessing from Him, that the ability then to, to get food, to feed yourself and to feed your family is a blessing one we often take for granted, not these people. Remember, we're dealing with a generation of Israelites who had never known anything except manna day after day. I mean, they had that episode with the quail. That didn't last very long. It was manna day after day after day. Their world is changing. It's changed just like that. You might think that God would give them a, a little trial period. You know, okay, we'll have manna for breakfast, and um, then it runs out at lunch for a while. You'll, have, you'll be on your own for lunch. We'll give you just a little bit. No! They had depended on God every day for 40 years to feed them. And you know what they were going to do now? They were going to depend on God to feed them. And he did. He did. Under the looming shadow, then, of the urgency of war, God sent them to a place that he had set aside for spiritual discipline, where they would remember his blessings of the past, where they would purge out of their household all of the leaven, everything from them, so that they had no leaven, which was a picture of sin. would remind us of the importance of seeking God and them every day, Nourishing ourselves spiritually, but also dealing with the constant battles of temptation and sinful practices. Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It was important business, urgent business. But there was something more important. Their spiritual nourishment, spiritual discipline. Lastly, there was a surrender to the captain. 
Out of all the book of Joshua, this is one of my favorite scenes. Verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest and holy is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the captain of the Lord's host is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, had this been merely an angel, when Joshua fell on his face to worship him, the angel would have said, no, get up. Because the angels did that again and again. People fall on their face, no, I'm a servant just like you. You see it many times during the scripture. In the Old Testament, we have a word that we've created. It's not there. But when we see Jesus who appears in the Old Testament, we call that a theophany. It is an Old Testament pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. We know that ultimately Jesus was going to assume the form of a man. He would be born as a baby in Bethlehem. He would be fully man and fully God. But before that incarnation, there were times when Jesus would come to this earth and he would assume that physical form. And when he did that, uh, then we call that a theophany. He appeared to Moses through a burning bush. But now he appears to Joshua and he says the same thing. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Why? Because wherever Jesus is, is holy. And so here was this angel, the Jehovah angel, captain of the Lord's host, standing there with a sword in his hand, and, and Joshua was ready to do battle best he could. <laughs> Are you for us or against us? And the captain said, neither, nay, but as captain of the Lord's host am I come. What does that mean? That means that this captain was not on a side. He's in charge. He's not on the side. He's in control of the whole thing. And the point that we are to get out of this passage is very simple to express. When the Lord Jesus is in residence, there are only two kinds of people. Those who are on his side and those who aren't. That's it. Have we ever thought about how egocentric it is for us to ask the question, is the Lord on my side? <laughs> no. Am I on his side? That's what matters. And so this once again drives us to the crucial nature of prayer in the life of the believer in Christ. Joshua fell on his knees to worship because if this is the one who's in charge, and it was, then he knew he needed a word. And that's exactly what he said. What saith my Lord unto his servant? When he worshiped, he was on his face. In a position, a posture of complete surrender to the one who had a sword in his hand. What 
saith my Lord unto his servant. You see, it was an urgent time, but there was something more important. Before they went into battle, and God wanted Joshua to know, and he wanted all of his people to know who was really in charge. Any moment of time when we can find ourselves on our knees in the presence of the living God, saying, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's a good moment. They don't come easily to us. But when we spend that time before Him, we spend that time in His presence, we spend that time crying out to Him. And we should do that every day. Then we go through life with that good understanding of who's really in charge. And it's not me. It's not you either. There's a captain of the Lord's host. And he is still very much in business tonight. So, it is the approach to life and the living of it and the Lord in His rightful place that enables us to start, stop missing the important while dealing with all the things that are merely urgent. There's nothing like the presence of the Lord Jesus to remind us of what's really important in life. And what's important then is our constant identification with Jesus Christ. Now you did that when you were saved and you professed your faith in Jesus Christ. You told others that Jesus has saved you. Maybe I hope you did. If you haven't, you need to. You went through the waters of baptism. You professed your faith in Jesus Christ. And you said to the world, I'm a believer in Him. But your identification with Christ didn't stop there. You go on and you identify yourself with one of the Lord's New Testament churches. That's another way that you identify. But then every day of our lives, yours and mine, we interact in this world. And we are then constantly, constantly identifying ourselves as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus. And that's important. Sometimes we may have to let some urgent thing go in order to take care of this important thing. Identifying myself as a child of God. There's that constant then affirmation of His cross and remembrance. We do that when we observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, God has called on us because Christ our Passover is already sacrificed for us. That is, it's pastime to purge out the old leaven of our lives and uh, that uh, influence of sin so that we might uh, commune with our Lord Jesus in sincerity and in truth. That communing with Jesus Christ and remembering the cross will keep us from sinning or our sin will keep us from communion with Christ and the fellowship of His cross. What's important? Sometimes we may have to let some urgent thing go so we can do what's really important. And that's spend some time at the foot of the cross reminding ourselves what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
What's important then is our continual surrender to the captain of the Lord's host. When we worship at His feet, when we bow before Him, when we exalt Him and praise Him and honor Him, when we deliver unto Him that sacrifice of praise and sacrifice of thanksgiving, when we honor Him and worship Him. Sometimes we may have to let some urgent something go in order to spend some time worshiping our Lord and Savior so that we can ask Him, Lord, what would you require of your servant? Joshua chapter 5 is a great, great passage. As God shows us, there's a lot of urgent things that sometimes need to be shoved to the background to take care of some important business. We'll all stand before God someday. And I really don't think God's going to be all that impressed when we tell Him, well, Lord, I was busy. <laughs> you know, I was busy. I had so much going on, my kids were pulling me. Oh, man, my, I was busy. Think about it for just a minute. Jesus healed who knows how many people. But when he said, I have finished my work, he had left no telling how many people still sick. We rejoice in the fact that he went up to some graves and called people back to life. But you know what? A lot of people died and they stayed in the grave. Healed blind men. There were blind men all over Israel that he left untouched. Healed lepers. There were lepers everywhere. Fed the 5,000. There was hungry people everywhere. In a way, we would look at Jesus' life and say, Lord, you still had a whole lot to do. Not Jesus. I'd finished the work that you've called me to do. And the interesting thing was, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Do you understand? It was already done. In just a few hours, he would say on Calvary, it is finished. Let's learn a great lesson from him tonight. A lot of what we think is urgent can be put behind what is truly important if we'll spend enough time before our captain on our knees saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Stand together, please.